Good day, dear listeners. Steve Preda here with the Management Blueprint Podcast. And today's guest is Shane Foss, the founder and CEO of Hooray Health, a limited benefit medical plan provider built to use with the national provider network of retail clinics and urgent care centers. Hooray's goal is to offer low-cost practical healthcare plans that are supported by technology and protect their members against predatory balanced billing practices. Welcome to the show, Shane. Great to have you. Oh, thanks for having me, Steve. Look forward to it. Well, uh, lots of things to unpack in the introduction, which we will go to in a few minutes. But uh, I'd like to start with uh, how do you get to start a health insurance company? How does how does that even work? You know, it's funny. This is not where I grew up professionally. I actually grew up in medical device sales. Uh, sales leadership. Mm -hmm. Uh, So in other words, really in orthopedics, my whole career has been um, really in the operating room and and, uh, working with physicians and other healthcare professionals selling orthopedic implants. And so, you know, I've always been a very curious person, always a constant learner. And so, and you know, obviously I have an entrepreneurial bug. So what was interesting was I had left the orthopedic uh, industry and uh, with a very good friend of mine. And I, I got introduced as I was a COO of a company that created access for large self-funded employers for uh, surgical bundles. And so we built that provider network out. And that was right up my alley because I understood that space really well, but it was kind of an entry into employer benefits. So when I got there, really you know, as, as crazy as it sounds, I fell in love with it. It was really interesting. And what I what I found most interesting was that there was a huge opportunity to improve. And uh, what I found was there is a dark side to healthcare that uh, is interesting because, you know, you think dark side to healthcare, really. But, you know, providers in their Hippocratic Oath, uh, with doctors and nurses, and but a doctor in the Hippocratic Oath, they take this oath and it's do no harm. And 99.9% of the physicians I know, that's what they live, that's their credo they live by. But what they don't realize is the ugly side or the dark side of healthcare is when you have, um, when you have bills that don't get paid for one reason or the other, whether your insurance didn't cover it, somebody, you know, you build an exorbitant amount that you didn't really, you know, you as the physician didn't really know was happening and then they can't pay it. So guess what? They get sent to collections. And, uh, you know, over 70% of personal bankruptcies are due to medical-related bad debt. So that was really kind of my entry into the into that space. And so I understood it really well. And um, I, myself, we sold the company and um, we stayed on six months. And then we went out and were consulting, uh, trying to figure out what we were going to do next. And so I had this idea of Hooray Health when I, I myself, went into an urgent care and got an $800 balance bill. And so, you know, understanding the market, I was able to negotiate it down. I knew, you know, what what it would take to get out of it. And so I took care of it. But, you know, the average American, that's not what they do. And, you know, and and it's just such a screwy market. So I thought, you know what, this is a good opportunity for us. And so that was where I really got the foundation for Hooray Health and and started building it from there. So really without the intent of saying, hey, I want to get into the health insurance space, it was more, you know, really solving a, a problem for a, a group of people. Uh, that's that's very interesting. And I, I've only been in this country for 10 years, but I also had an early experience with getting uh, hit by a $5,000 bill for 
a oh. minute uh, visit or something like that. Right. Uh, I was shocked and I fought the system. And uh, I mean, I don't want to get into it, but it was a long, hard fight. Uh, eventually, I prevailed, but I, I don't know if it was worth it. So, uh, so it, it is a tricky thing, and we'll, we'll dive into a little bit uh, later. Uh, but before we go there, I'd like to just address the topic of our podcast, which is management blueprints, business frameworks, and sure. conversation. You mentioned the, I think what we call it, the life cycle metrics framework, mm-hmm. uh, which you explained as companies have different life cycles and then they need to right. measure themselves in different ways. So right. would you mind telling us a little bit about uh, how that works? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when you talk about uh, business structures, businesses are different phases of their life, you know, their life cycle. Everybody's different. So when you start a brand new company, you're at the infancy stage, right? Just like a baby, you can't hold up your neck. And that's financially, I can't hold up my neck because I'm not making any money yet. I don't have a product. I don't have a, I, I don't have a sales distribution line. I don't have. So the evolution of your business, you have to have different skill sets, different organizational structure, you know, financial structure and, and KPIs or metrics, right. That you're measuring. And uh, in the beginning, if you're measuring sales, sales revenue or profitability, and you know, you're just starting out, it's kind of ridiculous, right? I mean, that's why when, when we, you talk to investors and they're like, well, what's your, uh, you know, what, what's your, uh, where are you at profitability wise right now? What are you making? It's like, Dude, we're growing so fast. We need more money. You know, we're we're growing, right? We're in the growth phase. So what we need money for is funding the growth phase. We don't want to make money right now. We want to continue the to ride the wave. So yeah. So when we you and I spoke earlier, it's you know, for when you're an entrepreneur, it's really like being able to identify what phase you're in and then comfortably navigate through that. Because so I'll give you an example. When we started the organization, we started off with a sales leader that his knowledge base was in really the individual and um, small group setting. And that was perfect for us because what it did was it gave us entry into that market where we were able to really start building sales, getting some uh, use case, right? Understanding the data, understanding what we're doing, you know, the customer experience, and then as we transitioned into the next phase where we actually raised a lot of money and then we had to hire all the infrastructure, we did a complete 180. And now we went into the large broker setting, which is much more professional. You have to have a very good reputation to even get access into that space. And then our average employer size wasn't five. It was, you know, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 people, right? So it was a completely different mindset. And so not only did our metrics change, but really our, our capabilities had to change. And uh, so we had to make a change in, in what we were doing from a sales leadership standpoint. And so one of the most challenging parts of being an entrepreneur, you know, just being you're a CEO, even if you're not the entrepreneur, it's making those hard decisions and identifying them and then being real with what you're doing. So Shane, so what are the major phases that you see? So, I mean, you can give your company as an example, if that's a problem. Sure, uh, yeah, yeah. My, what, my were, company. what were the phases and what were you measuring? What was the most relevant? Absolutely. Measure? Yeah. So, so when I first started, it was really the pre-product phase. Mm-hmm. So the pre-product phase is really what I was measuring was, can I get the product built, the network, the 
insurance carriers. And so really success was measured through the number of contracted providers, the area, you know, the, the metro statistical areas we were able to cover and the scale we were able to create there and what, what providers. So then we, then we went into the commercialization phase, which is really, or I'm sorry, not commercialization. We went pre-commercialization, which was with the testing phase. And so now I had to bring in financial support, right? Not a true CFO, but just financial support. We had to have marketing support. We had to have some operational IT support. And so we brought in a few employees to figure that out. And we brought in sales and distribution, which is you know who I spoke about earlier. So then, then the measurement was, okay, from a, from a um, sales standpoint, what was the, what were the reactions? So how many requests for proposals were we getting? What was the close ratio? What were the, the key eliminators, if you would, the gaps in our coverage or the gaps in our product measuring those. And, you know, so we collected all of the feedback. And then we went into the next phase, which was the commercialization. So we raised money to prove the concept. And so when you do that, now you have to have legal involved. You have to have, you really do need a financial partner. So we brought in a CFO to make sure you manage that because you have, when you have investor money, but now the KPIs are, okay, what is our, what is our revenue growth? So before it was really just on just sales. Are we getting clients? Mm-hmm. So clients, new business sales. Correct. And so now what we're looking at is now we're looking at revenue, retention, right? Renewal retention, employer and employee feedback. And so you're tracking all of the calls. How many calls are you getting per, you know, per thousand people enrolled in your plan, stuff like that. And then once you get from there and you've proven the concept and you're going out, now it's evaluating what you're um, what your really your real total addressable market is, mm-hmm. and what it's going to take to get there, raising that money, and then now you're now you're really your KPI KPIs are group size again retention participation rate right so how many people are actually enrolling in your plan revenue per member and then you're looking at uh, profitability obviously now we're looking at profitability how much what does our margin look like per employee but we're not looking i I shouldn't say profitability it's margin per employee because Mm -hmm. you know we're still we're still outstripping our our revenue just because we're growing so fast Mm -hmm. so that is so you've got the uh, the first phase was called pre-product then pre-commercialization then commercialization and this last one is what scaling what do you call yeah so now we're now we're scaling yep Mm -hmm. so yep and then we're scaling and then at that point after the scaling, after we now kind of level out. So right now we're at that hockey stick. So mm-hmm. the hockey stick will eventually kind of level out. And then that's, you know, that, that phase is really going to be your maturity or something. That's your maturity phase, right? You, that's now you're really digging in on how do you improve profitability? How do you, um, how do you use technology to improve that profitability? Take out a lot of, um, you know, the overhead, streamline your distribution channels stuff like that i love that 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 makes uh, makes a lot of sense Uh, pre-product you basically just want to get the foothold you want to survive you you figure out whether you even have a product right exactly you just that's your testing phase right that's the testing and then the pre-commercialization you really have you really are trying to prove to your financiers that there is a, a product that can be scaled there's there's a demand in the market 
there is something to finance and then the commercialization is when you really are kind of slamming on the gas and and you are uh, proving your case and expanding and maybe raising another round of financing right and then you scale this thing and hopefully by that time you are self-financing you don't need to bring in outside yep. investors you are generating cash and yep. then the maturity is when the business stabilizes the growth stabilizes and then you start the fine-tuning you improve your profitability and and you know you're institutionalizing the business. You're you're creating mm-hmm. all your systems and processes so that you can uh, you can be successful. This is awesome. That's a great that's a great framework. So let's talk about uh, the business that you have found that you are running. It's it's kind of a very interesting one because you've got the big insurance companies on the one hand, and then you've got the medical providers, and mm-hmm. then you've got companies like Aflac who are really basically trying to cover the lowest segment of the market for people who don't have coverage, don't have money for insurance. And you talk about limited benefit and unique benefit medical plans. So what, what are these plans and how yeah. they fit into the big picture? Yeah, so where we fit, it's really interesting. So you've got Aflac. Aflac is really, they're actually a, a, an income replacement. That's, mm-hmm. what they, that's what they focus on. Mm-hmm. What, we, what we focus on is, affordable access to care for the population that either ha- gets a, a plan for free on the exchange and their employer, you know, cause they, so if I get a, if I get a plan for free or a, a subsidized plan on the exchange today, I have a $5,000 deductible, right? Well, that population doesn't have $400 in the bank account. So per the federal reserve. So I'm functionally uninsured period. I'm functionally uninsured. I have no money to pay a bill. So mm-hmm. I really, unless that's something catastrophic, it doesn't really matter. So that person can use our plan and, you know, get to the doctor, go to our network, pay $25 copay with no balance bill, do that. The other, the other population that we serve is if, if you look at major medical, major medical today, the prices continue to rise. So the trend is participation is going down. You know, 15 years ago, carriers had a, a mandate of 75% participation from an employer. Well, that's out the door. They don't, they just don't, they don't get that participation anymore in most businesses. Mm-hmm. So if I opt out of that, now they could put us in as a supplemental health product to where that person can buy us at a much reduced rate. And we're what you call first dollar coverage. We're a fully insured product that has a limited medical hospital indemnity product and an accident medical expense that act as one and they're combined. And what happens is we take care of sickness and illness. And, you know, if I, uh, I had 14 stitches in my hand a couple of years ago and I went into the emergency room, they stitched me up and uh, they build the insurance company. And our insurance company, because we um, we push eligibility to providers, so they identified me as insured. They build our insurance company or our third party administrator, and it was nine hundred and eighty dollars. They paid it all. It was I had no out of pocket costs because we don't have deductibles. We have you know fixed amounts that we cover. So it's uh, this insurance really our insurance and indemnity insurance. This is how insurance was designed to be, right? This is what you had back in the sixties. And so it's a, uh, it's a very common place product, but uh, it's, you know, it's just now that we've had major medical and everybody expects, you know, 
that's going to pay for everything. And then the reality is they don't pay for everything. And So let me, let me understand. So what I'm hearing is that let's say I have a major medical plan and I have a 5,000 deductible. I could go to you and you would insure my $5,000 deductible as the first payment. Could I do no. that? Yeah. So we, so we're what you would call a non-coordinating benefit then. So you can actually buy us, put us under there as an individual, you buy us, but we could pay up to the 5,000. We could pay more than the 5,000, depending on which policy you buy with us and what you're doing. The idea is that you would be able to use us to, let's say to go to the first, uh, our network, which is the Hooray Health Network. You'd be able to go in there and for a $25 copay with no balance bill, be seen by a doctor, get your, you know, get an injection, get a chest yeah. x-ray, whatever you, you're there for. And that's all you'd pay is $25. Yeah. And so yeah. it wouldn't go towards your deductible because it's not coordinating. But, okay. you know, but the reality is the average American family spends less than $1,500 of their deductible a year. So the reality is, you know, it's, you know, having, having that deduct or having us sitting under that deductible, you get more value because we're, you know, we're actually paying for what you need, which is yeah. a doctor for an illness. So, yeah. So, so it, it's a replacement of a major medical with the exception that there's no, you know, if it's a major disaster, I get cancer, then yeah. there's limit to what you can reimburse, I guess. Yeah. yeah. But, so we're, we're not a replacement for major medical. I want to make that very clear. We're not major medical because we don't cover catastrophic. We are really there. We're what you call a supplemental health benefit. Mm-hmm. We are, we sit directly under a major medical pro- policy or, you know, the reality is there's a lot of people out there that can't afford major medical. So yes, we, people do use us as, you know, their primary source, but you know, the reality is if you can afford major medical, you know, we want you to buy major medical period, but the reality is that there's a large population that just can't afford it. So if, if someone is on a major medical, let's say on Anthem, mm-hmm. then then the normal thing for them would be to have a health, uh, an HSA account, health savings account to cover their deductible, and then they go with the major medical. But if they don't have it, then they could go with Hooray Health and they would get uh, coverage for the first uh, 5,000, whatever, for the first. Well, the, the base, yeah, they, yeah, they, would, they would get their base, yeah, they'd get their basic health needs covered through, yes. you know, being able to go to a physician visit if they're sick, you know, labs, x-ray, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And the major insurance companies, they don't do that. They don't provide this kind of coverage because they want to sell the major medical insurance. Yeah. So some of them do. Some of them have supplemental health benefits for mm-hmm. sure. But where ours is unique is we have the mobile app that gets you, that shows you the network, shows you the benefits, it centralizes all the benefit function right on the palm of your hand. We have the only provider network in the nation that's a fixed global copay, no balance bill. And so um, what's really nice about that is millennials are really our, our target audience today, millennials and Gen Xers, and they expect to have a mobile app. That's just expected. But the other thing is they do not have primary care physicians. 64% do not have a primary care physician. They go to an urgent care retail clinic. So that's why we built the network the way we did. And the reason they do that is actually it's very smart is Urgent cares and retail clinics, they're open Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They, you know, during the week, they're open till nine o'clock at night, eight o'clock at night. 
the level of care that you get there. So if I go, if I go to my primary care doctor with a broken ankle, they don't have an x-ray machine in their office. So they're going to tell me, why didn't you go to the urgent care? So millennials just skip that and they just go right to the urgent care. Yeah. So it's the fastest growing segment of, from a provider standpoint for the delivery of care. And, uh, and they're fantastic. We love them. Awesome. So what, what are the, the balance billing practices, these predatory balance billing practices? What, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll just give you my own experience. So I had a $75 copay with one of the large health insurance carriers. I went in and I got my x-ray and then I got my uh, an injection or two injections, actually, a muscle relaxer and anti-inflammatory. Well, three weeks later, I get an $800 balance bill. So me, I was able to negotiate that down and I just paid it. Most people will, you know, if they can't afford it and they don't understand, they're not going to call and negotiate it down. So what happens is they let it go to collection and then in collection, they'll send you to collections. And I mean, people file bankruptcy. I mean, actually, I mean, it's over, it's over 60% of the population of personal bankruptcies are due to medical related bad debt. So the predatory practices are, I, even though that that eight hundred dollar balance bill, I paid less than seventy dollars for that eight hundred dollars, and that's what's expected. And what's crazy about about the health system is, and I'll just I'll give you a great example. It's if you walk into a grocery store and you walk to the back, you grab a gallon of milk, and you walk out, and you let's say you pay five dollars for it. That's how life really is. You pay five dollars for it. I pay five dollars for it. You know, maybe somebody has a coupon, but for the most part, we all pay the same price. Well, in the healthcare world, depending on if you have, you know, if there's a contract with the provider, if there's, you know, and there's all these things and every insurance carrier or network has a different price as well. So nobody knows. I mean, as a matter of fact, the physician's office doesn't even know what they're going to charge for that gallon of milk. So what happens is you pay that $5 for the gallon of milk. You go home and three weeks later, you get you get billed 50 bucks for that gallon of milk and you're legally obligated to pay for it, even though the grocery store never told you about it. Why is it called balanced billing? Because it's you're paying the balance of the bill, oh, okay. the bill that you never knew you had. And so our last company that we were at, it was it was really interesting because. One time we were talking to, uh, in Denver, we were talking to the um, president who was a general surgeon of this group. And we were, we were talking to him about how we're different. They're sending people to collections today and how we can eliminate that because, you know, they have a lot of basically bad debt. debt. They're not, they're not collecting. And he looks at me, he goes, we would never send anybody to collections ever. And this is a very large group. And I looked over at the office manager and I said, how many people did you send this last month? 40. He almost fell out of his chair and he immediately said, we will never do that again. That is not, and the, the problem is the system is, you know, I don't want to say perverse. It's, you know, that's not the right word. It's, it's just, it's the, the coordination in the system is so horrible that nobody knows what is really going on, right? It's so compartmentalized 
One doesn't know what the next one's doing. You don't know the pricing. You don't know. I mean, there's no transparency. And so the physicians, you know, they're, you're thinking, oh my gosh, this doctor sending me collections. No, he's not. He has no idea that he's sending you a collection. Maybe they are not sending you to a collection. They just sell the receivable that they cannot collect. And then someone is going to collect. They have nothing to do with it. They just sold it. You know, it's off their hands. They got paid 20 cents in the dollar, whatever. And uh, it's somebody else, somebody else, dirty, uh, dirty, dirty loan. Yeah, but but that's the but that's the problem, right? They're still selling the bad debt when they should be just writing it off. You know, you look at health systems, which are the worst of the predatory balance building, and you look at the health systems, and they they are nonprofit. They're not paying taxes, but yet they send more people to collections than any other you know, business in the United States. So, you know, it's just, it, it's a challenge and, you know, and it's just, it's just a tough system right now. Yeah, yeah, it is. So Shane, one of my former clients who was in the healthcare system, but basically what he, the way he explained it was that because there is no safety net in America, uh, there's no uh, general insurance if you're a poor person, then essentially what is the acknowledged, uh, silently acknowledged system is that if you are sick and you go to an emergency room, they're going to take uh, take care of you and they're going to bill you. We won't be able to pay for it. So the way they make it up is they are billing the middle classes exorbitant. Uh, they're sending exorbitant price billings to the middle classes because they have the insurance and they're going to pay for it. So essentially it's a cross subsidization yeah. that is happening. Well, I, I, I'll tell you, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's a hundred percent correct. And here's why, you know, if you're in, let's say in Dallas, if, if I'm sick and I go to Parkland, I'm going to get taken care of and they're a teaching facility and that's what they're there for. You know, in, in Houston, uh, where my wife trained, she's a physician, University of Texas has a, uh, a hospital LBJ just on the outskirts of town. They deliver more babies there than anyone else in the United States. And, you know, 99% of it's free. So I think we, you know, saying that we don't have a safety net is actually not accurate because we do have safety nets and, you know, we've got Medicaid, we've got, you know, we, we as a country do take care of people. I think that there's a lot of stuff wrong. And, uh, but, you know, the reality is you can, you can find care without going to an emergency room and getting that crazy bill. And, but the other, the other part of it is, you know, billing the middle class for, you know, of course, I mean, that's exactly what's happening. I mean, that look, if, if I'm, if I'm only recovering, you know, 20% of everything I bill at Starbucks, right. I'm Starbucks. Everybody else is going to pay for it. Cause I got to raise the price of the coffee from $3 to $5. Right. I mean, that's the way it happens. That's just, you know, basic economics, but it's, it's a really complex system and there's a lot of great people that work in it that just, it, it is what it is. It's very challenging right now. We're not going to solve this uh, on this call, I guess. No. So let me ask you a business question. What are the growth drivers of a health insurance uh, firm like yours? What drives growth for you? Really the gig economy. More and more people are, you know, right now, I think it's at like 55 million. It's grown at a 17% compound annual growth rate. The individual market is going to dominate health insurance within the next five years. So individuals that are shopping, making, you know, their decision on what they're going to buy, 
So that's really driving what's going on. I, you know, and I think the continued escalation of major medical costs going up, that's, that's going to continue to, um, you know, drive people to the uh, exchange and drive people to, you know, look for alternatives that, you know, where they're able to get their basic care. You know, I think um, direct primary care is going to be huge beneficiary. I think virtual, virtual telemedicine is going to be a huge beneficiary of that. Uh, there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of really interesting things that, that are going to happen over the next 10 years that are going to really, uh, really set the stage for something special. I'm, I'm curious to see that because a lot of people are actually not designing, not to stand degree resignation because they have this conception that, you know, the big company pays our health insurance and it's so expensive. And if they didn't, then we would be out of luck. We would not be able to cover it. But if there is an alternative or there are alternatives that a gig economy a worker can use, which are almost as good, then and people wake up to that, then maybe a lot more dominoes are going to start to fall. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, there's there's alternatives out there right now. It's just, uh, you know, it's just whether you're you're really out there looking or not. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, well, fascinating topic. I think we could spend the next three hours going yeah, on sure. rabbit holes in this topic. So if, if someone would like to learn more about Kure Health, how you work, how they can access your products, uh, maybe want to connect with you, where should they go? Yeah, best place to connect with me is on LinkedIn or through our website at hoorayhealth.com, H-O-O-R-A-Y health.com. Awesome. Well, definitely check out Shane Foss on LinkedIn. Thank you, Shane, for for coming on the show and explaining your lifecycle metrics framework, as well as how the health insurance uh, system works and how you are kind of democratizing it with, with Hooray Health. And for those of you listeners, if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to subscribe on YouTube and give us a review on iTunes, on Apple Podcast. And stay tuned because next week I'm going to bring another exciting entrepreneur who will share their business frameworks with you. Thank you. Thank you, Shane.